Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. TRP is a church affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship located in Salisbury, Maryland. Our current sermon series is a study on Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even though Paul was addressing theological controversies embedded within a first century Jewish context, we believe that there are some very important modern day applications. Perhaps the most notable is the sufficiency of faith in Jesus for salvation and the unity we find in him. Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hey guys. Thank you so much uh, for coming. A couple things before we get started. I want to give a shout out again to the podcast listeners, wherever they are. Um, I know there's a lot of them, and we would love to get them in here, wherever they are. Um, so my goals for tonight are to do a couple of things. One, I want to talk about freedom, and that's a big word, especially living in America. Um, what does it really mean? And, that, and another thing I want to do is hopefully set an example of what that looks like as a believer in Christ, hopefully by uh, being honest tonight with some things that have been going on in my life and to talk about some things that are kind of difficult. Um, so hopefully through that vulnerability, I'll be able to show kind of what that freedom is. Um, when Josh asked me if I wanted to preach again, I thought, eh, maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, how, how am I supposed to, to get up and, and talk to you guys when I get it wrong more than I get it right? You know, how am I supposed to talk about something which... I don't quite understand myself, but Paul says in 1 Timothy um, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who'd believe in him and have eternal life. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about tonight. Would you pray with me real quick? Dear Lord, thank you so much uh, for this evening. Thank you for this opportunity to, to speak. I pray that uh, if there's any words that are not from you, that they would be forgotten. I pray that you would open our hearts uh, and our minds, that they would be transformed by things that you want us to know um, and by things you have to say to us. I pray that you would just be with me and with everybody here. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So our text for tonight is Galatians 5, um, starting in verse one. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching the circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go all the way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one humbly in love. 
This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God also. So just to review a little bit of this series in Galatians, um, Galatians is a letter from Paul the Apostle to the church in Galatia. And he's very angry because these believers in Galatia um, have been sort of corrupted by these Jewish Christian missionaries, which were preaching to them a message other than the one had, that Paul had taught them. So whereas Paul was teaching faith in Jesus is the way to salvation, these missionaries were talking about other things like circumcision and uh, dietary laws and all of these other customs that they had to follow in order to be um, saved. And Paul was totally ticked off about this. Verse one, it's very clear what Paul wants to talk about. He says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So do not let yourselves be again burdened by a yoke of slavery. Sounds a little bit like Dr. Seuss, but. Um, so a lot of the questions that I have when I initially hear this is, okay, um, what happens if it doesn't? What happens if this freedom doesn't quite work out the way that you say it does? A lot of times I sit in here and I listen to Josh and I understand what he's saying. You know, I believe the things that he is saying is true. But a lot of times it doesn't feel like it. A lot of times it seems to work out in ways different than the meaning of the scripture. And I wrestle with that a lot sometimes. So very early on, um, Paul claims his, his thesis basically for the entire chapter. He's saying, if you try to follow the entire law, you have been alienated from Christ. So these people who are trying to follow the ways of the law were actually negating all of the work that Jesus had done on the cross. And I think we try to do the same thing too. When we try to essentially earn our own salvation through our own moral efforts of, of trying to be a good person and try to not cuss or, or whatever, insert the blank, we're actually doing the opposite of what we're called to do. We're actually getting further from Christ when we try to do that. And this is extremely difficult for me. Um, this is an extremely difficult mindset to kind of get out of as an athlete. I spend hours upon hours trying to do a very certain thing, a very specific way, work towards perfection, practice, and ultimately success. And so that transfers into a lot of different areas in my life, including my walk with Christ. I'll be walking along and I'll be trying to do things, practice and read my Bible and pray. And then I work very hard at it, aiming at success. And then I come up short. And it's so extremely difficult to try to deal with this mindset. And I know a lot of us struggle with the same thing. And it's the most difficult thing that we can try to do is to change the way we think. And it's exhausting, honestly. It is honestly exhausting trying to completely get it right all of the time and being kind of OCD when we don't. Like everything's gotta work out the way that we thought it would. And it's so exhausting because we can't do it eventually. We'll have, a, we'll have some good weeks and maybe a good month or a good year, but eventually life happens and we get knocked down. And it's so difficult when we think this way because when we, when we try to do everything right and it goes wrong, we're wrecked because we have the wrong goal in mind. Um, so basically, this is what the Jewish Christian missionaries were trying to say to the Galatians. They're saying, okay, we, we see what Jesus has done, and he's great and all, but it's, it's not enough. You've got to do some other stuff. You've got you to eat the right foods. You have to sit with the right people. You have to obey these other kind of uh, customs, and circumcision is a good idea as well. Um, and I honestly think that this is the type of slavery that Paul has been talking about. It's a mindset, it's a way of believing that we get trapped in our own thought processes of perfection and, and trying to do every single thing right as the goal to salvation rather than focusing on Christ. This is the slavery that I think Paul is talking about. And of course, there are, there are the sins of the flesh that, that we all know and we make a huge deal about them. 
you know, the, the things that Josh touched on um, a couple of weeks ago. And they're obvious. But I think this, this type of slavery is a little bit more subtle. And I honestly think it's, it's more catastrophic than, than the physical things that we can see and do. I think this way of thinking is a lot more dangerous than the things that we do because essentially we're saying to Christ, I don't need you. When we think that we can do it by ourselves, we're basically saying, yeah, I know you went through a lot and I know that you did it for me, but it's not, it's not enough. It's not enough. I need to do a little bit more. I need, to, I need to get this right here, clean this up a little bit, and then I'll be good and then I'll go. I think we know that everybody kind of has a life verse, right? There's, there's the basic ones of, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, Joshua 1, 9, Romans 5, 8, Romans 8, 18, all of Psalms 23. Um, but honestly, and I thought it was really funny, the, the text that Sarah read, Romans 7, because that's probably my life verse. I, you know, I, I know what I want to do. For I have the desi- Paul says in Romans 7, for I have the desire to do good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Oh, what a wretched man I am who will save me from this flesh. There's a, one translation of the Bible I read. I got it from Passion. Um, and there's little commentaries on the side. Um, and in this, in this particular text in the Bible, in Romans 7, on the side, there's a sentence that I, I've been thinking about for a long time. And it says, the Bible never characterizes believers as ones who do not struggle with sin. Rather, they are the ones who stay in the fight. And that's been huge for me because there, there have been certain sins in my life that have, that have honestly tripped me up for years. And I thought that I was never going to get over them. And there are honestly things that I struggle with now that I just can't seem to get free from. And there have been times where I've been really, really close to giving up and accepting my fate as a slave to these things that I'm doing. But I, I feel in those moments just a slight kind of tap on my soul or like a, like a scratching from, from God that, that keeps me pushing, that keeps me going, that pushes me into the light. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says that when we try to attain moral perfection, we realize that we can't do it. Very quickly, we realize that we can't do it. And then we ask God for help. But even in those moments, it seems like either no help was given or not enough help was given. And so we're sitting there like, okay, um, need some help, and nothing happens. And C.S. Lewis says, never mind that. God teaches us first the tenacity of trying again and again before we reach the virtue itself. So whatever it is that we're trying to accomplish, we are often taught the ability to get back up again before we can actually reach the goal that we are trying to pursue. God has never given up on me or you in our darkest moments, and I don't think we should give up on him. Even though it it seems so easy to sort of just submit to the thought of, you know, well, I've been doing this for, I don't know how long, I might as well keep doing it, you know, there's no, we have a little pity party. And I don't think that's what, that's not what God wants. Paul kind of sums this this longing for us to reach a certain spot in, in verse five. He says, for through the spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. And this gives me so much hope in the midst of my spiritual narcissism, in the midst of me constantly worrying about what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong and where I can be better and where I'm not good enough. Because when I think about it, it's actually the spirit of the living God in me 
that's pushing me towards perfection. Because if the Spirit of God wasn't in me, I wouldn't care. I wouldn't care about pleasing him. I wouldn't care about doing the things that he wants me to do and being the person that he wants me to be. So I think we can all just relax a little bit, knowing that it's, it's actually God in, the, in us that's pushing us to be the people that we know that we are created to be. But I think the enemy comes in and twists that. He comes into our mind and, and creates a battle of understanding the goal of, of perfection in Jesus versus relying on his grace and his mercy and the work that he's done on the cross. And I've wondered a really, really long time from where this, this, this skewed thought process comes from. I've wondered for a long time, why is it that we constantly seek perfection in a way that is not free, in a way that we get down on ourselves and we talk negatively and we think that we're never going to get any better? So my question is, who are the, who are the Jewish Christian missionaries in our lives that are telling us we need to do more? We need to be more and we need to be more than we are and we need to do more than what Jesus did on the cross. Paul says in verse nine, he says, a little bit of yeast throughout the whole batch of dough very easily spreads. A little bit of yeast easily spreads throughout the whole batch of dough, sorry. Um, so when you're baking, obviously you need yeast and you don't need too much, you need a little bit because it will very easily spread throughout the whole batch of dough and cause it to rise. So this metaphor is mostly used um, to describe sin in the life of a believer um, because it's, it's kind of contagious and it can spread very easily. Um, and sin, as we know, ruins the relationship between God and man. You know, we go, know that going back to the garden. Um, there's a separation that is caused from sin. Um, and I know this for a fact, and I, and I know you do too. But I think this way, of, this way of thinking that I've been talking about can be applied to the same metaphor. This, this way of thinking of, I need to do more for myself, for my own salvation, and to be a better, more moral person you get down on yourself, and then other people see that, and then, or they will tell somebody else that they need to do more, that they haven't reached their potential yet, or they haven't attained this goal that they think they're, that they're supposed to get to. And then it just ends up being this huge group of people who are down on themselves because they're not where they're supposed to be, because they don't think that Jesus loves them the way that they are. And it's contagious, and it's difficult to get out of. But I think if you can, if you can change this way of thinking First, you can, you can change the action second. Because remember, I, th I think the way of thinking is far more important than the actions that, that come from it. I think if we honestly started to believe and understand that we are beloved children of the God of the universe, we would stop worrying about our petty sins and start dancing a little bit more, I think. Um, because I, I believe that is what Christianity is supposed to be about. It's a dance between lovers. And I know that sounds kind of cliche and kind of weird, but I think that's what it is. And I'm not a very good dancer sometimes. Sometimes I'm stepping on other people's feet. You know, I got big shoes or whatever, but you know, sometimes you take two steps forward and you take two steps back and maybe one to the side and maybe you fall down. Maybe your shoes come untied. But it's not about whether you're a good dancer because we're going to get better. We're going be, to get better at dancing. But it's if you quit dancing altogether. That's the point. You have to stay in the dance. Either that or for my action um, fans out there, it's a, it's a rescue mission of when God through Jesus comes into the battle and, and completes the greatest rescue mission in the history of anything. You know, comes in, not really guns blazing though. He kind of comes, he kind of sneaks in quiet um, and then goes out 
in an epic fashion. So thinking about the early church, after reading this text and kind of thinking about this thought process, why is it that the early church was so successful in spreading the message of the gospel? And I think it's because they knew they were free. They knew that there was a price that had to be paid that they could not pay that had been paid for them. They were no longer bound by the rules of the culture or the rules of the society. They knew that Jesus has changed everything and it changed the way the, the, the early church, it changed the way they think, it changed the way they act, it changed the way they walked. It changed where they walked. And they were dangerous. Because if you're free and you know that you're free, you're dangerous. Because you're not bound by anything. No one can hold anything against you. I'm not talking about dangerous as in like, you know, crusaders dangerous or Spanish Inquisition dangerous, but the kind of, the kind of dangerous that, that doesn't follow the rules. You know, there's all of these motivational speakers about if you want to do something really impactful and you want to change the world, you got to stop following the rules in a good way, in a good way. They didn't follow the rules and they weren't bound by sin or death or persecution or what other people thought about them. And I'm honestly so sick and tired of of believers now putting chains around one another, telling them they have to clean up their act or telling them they have to do this or that or stop doing this or that. Stop. Because Jesus has paid an immense price to remove chains that we just put right back on. And I'm guilty of this. I do this. We meet new believers who have experienced the grace of Jesus. And we say, all right, that's great. But you know, you got to do this though. You got to make sure you're doing this and you got to stop doing this. You're going to come here every single Sunday or else it's not going to work out. We do that. I do that. And I think, no wonder people are hesitant to come into buildings like this. You know, what do people see? When they look at the church, do they see a bunch of nice people getting together to do nice things and say nice things just to be nice people? Or do they see a, a group of the good people looking down on the bad? Or do they see a dance? Now, I want to I get this clear. I'm not excusing sin by any means. Like I said, sin ruins the relationship between God and man. But I think that if we were to honestly use our freedom in a way that is constructive, in a way to serve one another. I know there's countless people in here who have been, been um, have helped serve at Epoch or maybe at the Garden or other things that we are doing, campus ministries. And you know that when you serve people that cannot give you back, that cannot pay you back, you know that's where true joy comes from. And we know that that's true because we feel it because it's the way we were created. We were created to serve and to love. The point of Christianity is not to make you a better, more moral person who is nice and clean and does X, Y, and Z. The point of Christianity is Christ, his life, death, and his resurrection. That's why Paul says to the Corinthians, I know nothing else but Christ and him crucified because that's what's important. Paul says in verse six um, in Galatians chapter five, um, it says that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love And so what does that look like? Because it's easy to read that and say, okay, love is a pretty general term. We use it kind of willy-nilly nowadays. You know, I love football and I love my dad and I love these shoes. But what does it mean to love? Love for God and and for our neighbor. That was the greatest commandment that Jesus, Jesus gave. So what's the point? What does it look like? I think it can look like a lot of different things. It can look like bringing hope and joy 
and peace and laughter and passion and justice and good news to people that we don't normally associate with because we have that kind of freedom. The early church was no longer bound by cultural, economic, or social boundaries of Jew or Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, and neither are we. We're not bound by labels of Baptist or Presbyterian or, or Methodist or Catholic or regardless of our theological or political opinions. We're not bound by those things and we're free to love our enemies because our battle is not against other people. It's not against people. And when we make enemies out of people that are different from us, that have different opinions and wear different clothes and go to different buildings on Sunday, we take away our ability to love them easily because then it's their fault. But our battle is not against them. It's not against other people. Um, as for that final verse, uh, I don't really have much to say about that one. Uh, Paul's pretty straightforward. He says, whoever's doing this, whoever is throwing you off and taking you out of your race, I wish they would emasculate themselves. And if you don't know what that means, please don't Google it. Um, because it's, it's not going to be good. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge history fan. And so one of my favorite time periods in history um, is around the Civil War. And there's a story about Abraham Lincoln. Um, and he goes to a slave auction, which is kind of interesting to think about. Our president was going to a slave auction. So he goes, and, and there's, a, there's a young woman uh, being auctioned off. And, and Lincoln actually buys her. He wins. And so this woman is thinking that it's just another... She's another white guy. He's probably going to sell me somewhere else or split me up for my family. So he walks up to her and he says, you're free to go. She's like, what? She's like, yeah, you're free to go. She's like, does that mean I can go wherever I want? He's like, yeah, it means you can go wherever you want. She's like, does that mean I can wear whatever I want? He's like, yeah, you can wear whatever you want. She's like, does that mean I can say and go and do and be whoever I want to be? He's like, yeah, you're free. Just go. Live your life. And I think that this is an excellent example of the gospel. We have been bought at a very, very high price. And we're free. We can go and we can be who we want to be. And we don't have to constantly worry about getting it right or getting it wrong. Because that's not the point. The point is that we're free. We really are. And I really hope that we can, we can remember that. And that's really my hope for tonight, is to understand that when we know that we're not bound, that we know we can mess up sometimes and God's still gonna love us, we know that we don't always have to get it right. Because when we focus on that, we are far from improving. When we focus on Jesus, that's when you start to become better. When you're not worried about becoming better is when you actually become better. And it's weird. It's a reverse economy, and it's, it's Jesus. He just does it. I have found that in moments of my questioning, in moments of 
doubting and moments of me constantly looking at myself. I turned to writing and usually that comes out in the form of poetry um, to kind of, it's hard to kind of explain how I'm feeling sometimes. And I know you guys understand that as well. Language is kind of difficult. Um, so if you'll bear with me just for another couple of minutes, um, I have something that I have written um, it sort of talks about freedom and, and my struggle to kind of understand what that is. Um, so if you bear with me. It's hard to be sorry for something that you can't feel. It's hard to feel the weight of sin when you aren't even stepping on the scale. It's hard to ask for help when you really don't want to because it feels so good. It feels so good to disobey and to walk away being led so secretly astray that you don't even notice how far you've walked from home. I couldn't tell you the last time I did not feel bound by sexual sin. I couldn't tell you the last time I felt freedom from within. I can't tell you the last time I took every thought captive in order that it might be put to death so I just walk around pretending I'm deaf, unable to hear the constant gnawing and scratching on my soul by the one who owns it. I pretend I'm not the one who owes it. I know my actions are slowly sucking the life out of my freedom from sin. Quietly wrapping ropes of pleasure around my throat, but it feels so nice, like slipping on a warm coat, like slipping carefully into a hot tub. Allowing the warm water to climb my body, I relax, unaware that I'm being boiled alive. How long, O oh Lord, will you allow my enemies to torment me? How long will you allow my complacency to crush the passion you have placed within me? Why are you so downcast, my soul? Put your hope in God. I think King David had a point here. He knew the weight of his sin. He knew the weight of having another man killed, and yet he was a man after God's own heart. Why am I not thrilled in knowing the same God that David knew? Why is it so hard for me to believe I'm being made new? Why are you so downcast, my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you again for the price that you have paid, that we're no longer bound by works of the law, that we're no longer bound by barriers of culture, social or economic boundaries that have been created before us, that we are free to step down this aisle and to be a part of something so important that you gave your life for it. I pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of the freedom that you've given us, of the grace and the mercy that has been shed in abundance for us. I pray that as we continue to walk in our day-to-day -day lives, that we would be less focused on ourselves and more focused on you, because then that's when real change starts to happen. When we focus on you and on your life and less about us, when we die to ourselves, that's when the world is changed. That's when communities are flipped on their head. That's when stereotypes are shattered. I pray that you would be with us the rest of this time. And I thank you so much 
for your son Jesus. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.